COVID-19. Pandemic, COVID-19. COVID-19 virus. Lockdown. The shutdown of the pandemic. COVID-19 virus. The shutdown of the pandemic. Too much time on the computer, too much time on digital stuff, you know. We'll feel the loss of in-person contact with family members and friends, uh, some of whom we were to visit last month thousands of miles from here. Despite flights having been rebooked for September, there's still mainly an uncertainty about it, about about travel in general that hangs like a, like a stale question mark. A loss of income and, uh, you know, was really trying to uh, get my business geared up and, and moving and back on track, or actually get it on track uh, as a, a new business venture. Um, I'm getting a little bored and monotony. Like, I just wish uh, that we could go out and play again, so to speak. Um, just having that tangible touch and feel. I'm currently stranded in India because of COVID-19 and the country of India choosing to lock down its borders and the rest of the country. It actually happened um, two days before I was supposed to leave the country. So I could not leave the country and I thought it would only last 21 days and I would be able to go back home and be able to go back to my business. Uh, it's hard to feel accomplished when you're just at home working on your computer all the time and you can see people on on video and whatnot and to tell you you did a good job on one thing or another. But I found that it's really hard to feel a sense of accomplishment when you're not with people and, and seeing their body language and, and getting that response from them in person. I, uh... I normally work from home and having to share my home with my husband and my children and try and get work done has been very challenging. I had no idea how much I need to be alone and appreciate being alone. And on the flip side of that, I like to be alone and have uninterrupted time at work and then I like to go out and talk to everyone and the neighbors and go to baseball games and barbecues and feed my extroverted self. Worst things really is not being able to take care of uh, our elderly parents, not able to go to their place, uh, clean up for them, do shopping for them, take them out. And that's just been really tough to have to uh, to endure that, you know, we just can't serve them the way we'd like to. Um, I have been at war with my neighbor <laughs> over whether it's okay to hang out with my tiny dog on our roof. Um, the sidewalks are crowded here in Brooklyn and they've closed the dog park so we don't have a lot of options for fresh air and we end up sitting up there a lot and my neighbor thinks it's fine for us to be up there for our drunk neighbors who smoke and leave trash everywhere but it's unacceptable to her that the dog is up on the roof so I uh, know that I am more blessed than a lot of people you know I um, um, have a roof over my head and and money for food and I'm not in any um, financial distress and uh, right now and um, but it's certainly been interesting not getting a hug in uh, close to you know a month and a half.
talking more yet. Talking. Talkers are talking. We're talking. Oh, really? A lot. a lot of talkers. I would agree with that. This podcast <laughs> is called Erase the Filter. Erase the Filter. Erase the Filter. This is from a Wikipedia article titled Blind Men and an Elephant. The parable of the blind men and an elephant originated in the ancient Indian subcontinent from where it has been widely diffused. It is a story of a group of blind men who have never come across an elephant before and who learn and conceptualize what the elephant is like by touching it. Each blind man feels a different part of the elephant's body, but only one part, such as the side or the tusk. Then they describe the elephant based on their limited experience, and their descriptions of the elephant are different from each other. In some versions, they come to suspect that the other person is dishonest, and they come to blows. The moral of the parable is that humans have a tendency to claim absolute truth based on their limited subjective experience, as they ignore other people's limited subjective experiences which may be equally true. On March 3rd, 2020, my friend Jose Johnson reminded me of this parable during a talk on mindfulness that we held at the Candy Factory, our co-working space here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. The first guy, he's feeling the tusk, and he says, well, an elephant's like kind of smooth and hard and pointy, like maybe like a spear or something, right? And then the other guy is holding on the trunk. He's like, well, he's kind of like a big snake. That night was supposed to be the first of what would be a series of events called Dinner and Discourse, where we gather a few dozen people to share a meal, listen to a talk, and share ideas. That now seems like another lifetime or some kind of weird dream that only made sense while experiencing it. That night was just a couple of weeks before we would be ordered to stay home. During the weeks that followed, our community gradually shifted from paying moderate attention to this thing called the novel coronavirus to hearing word that universities were closing, which seemed surprisingly out of place at the time, to us, all of us, actually needing to close down any business that wasn't deemed to be essential or life-sustaining. The week of March 16th, I helped my eldest daughter move out of her college dorm two months before the end of the semester. I helped my parents return early from their winter snowbirding adventure in Florida, and then set up a mini co-working space with my partner Anne in our dining room from where we thought we would be working remotely for a couple of weeks. Well, a couple of months later, we're still working out of that same dining room and still trying to make sense of what happened, what is happening, and what will happen. Here's the thing. COVID-19 has become the elephant in the parable, and we're all the blind men. Everyone is having a unique experience with this pandemic and the unprecedented disruption it has had on what we thought life would look like in 2020. As of this recording, the families and friends of 97,000 Americans have experienced the loss of loved ones because of a virus that only months ago was barely even known. That number is over 340,000 worldwide. I wonder what it will be like to listen back to this recording in three months or six months or a year or even 10 years. Will I hear those numbers and say, yeah, that was pretty close to the end of this thing? Or will I shake my head at how it is just getting started? Only time will tell. On April 25th, my friend Adam forwarded me an email from a global sound mapping project that he follows called Cities and Memory. Uh, yeah, so um, Cities and Memory, I guess you would call it like a global collaborative sound project, if that doesn't sound too... Uh, painfully pretentious. Uh, Stuart Fawkes, the founder of Cities in Memory. Effectively, it's a global sound map which sits online at citiesinmemory.com and um, the kind of tagline for the project is remixing the world one sound at a time. I checked it out and was intrigued. I'd seen sound maps before. People collect sounds from different spaces with recording devices, anything from super high quality mics 
to a simple iPhone. Then the sounds get mapped so you can click around and listen to sounds from various geographical locations. This website was a bit different. Um, so what you'll find on the map is that every location has got two sounds. So you've got the original sort of documentary field recording of what the place sounds like. And then you've got a kind of reimagined or recomposed or remixed version where an artist has taken that original sound or some element of it and created something new out of it. Anyone with an interest in exploring sound from anywhere on the globe is welcome to contribute to the site. Everything on the central sound map has got some kind of uh, reimagined equivalent. So you can kind of explore the real sounds of the world or you can explore this kind of alternative um, sound version of the world that's been created by, um, it's about 750 uh, artists have taken part uh, so far. So that's the, the bigger project and that's been running for about five years now. Stewart's field recording philosophy is very open. He's not worried about capturing the most technically perfect sounds. All sound is a source material and everything is potentially musical, everything is potentially usable. In fact, he had been using field recordings as source material to build beats and textures for his bands and musical projects. So those kinds of projects, those kind of musical projects all came to an end. So I found myself sitting on a sort of bank of uh, field recordings thinking, oh, what am I going to do with these? Same sort of time, I kind of getting into sound mapping. And I guess I thought, um, if you're going to start getting into sound mapping, you've got to bring something new to the party. So you can't hope to replicate the scale of something like the Apari Global Sound Map, which is obviously it's one of the biggest sound maps in the world with thousands, thousands of sounds on there. Um, or you can't replicate the detail of some of the more localized sound maps where someone's taken you know one particular city or location and really kind of gone into the detail on it so it's like if you're going to try and do something what's the, the new element to it and that kind of bringing sort of sound mapping and sound art together with like remix culture it sort of all just sort of smashed together at the same time and, and the whole idea came up two sides to the project you can capture and submit sounds that document a time and place or you can take a sound document and somehow use it in a piece of sound art. Then I was reading um, Invisible Cities um, by Calvino, um, which I don't know if you know, but it's basically a book where um, Marco Polo is traveling to uh, visit Kublai Khan and he's telling him all sorts of stories about um, all his amazing travels to all these different cities um, with fantastic names and even more kind of fantastic um, sights and sounds. And so he's telling all these stories about these incredible cities where there are cities made out of like net hanging above chasms and all this kind of stuff. And as you go through uh, the book, it becomes clear that he's talking about just his own city. He's talking about Venice over and over again from lots of different angles. And all these different cities are kind of actually just his experience of the same city. Sounds a lot like the parable of the blind men and the elephant. Your experience of London or New York would be different from my experience of London or New York because we've lived different lives. We have different experiences. So we experience the same places in very different ways is kind of the founding principle of the project and that's where the name Cities and Memory comes from. It comes from, from that book which kind of helped to knit the pieces together. After a year or so of steady but slow growth, Stewart began launching sub-projects that focused on a specific theme. These projects came with focus and deadlines which is when Cities and Memory really started to take off. We've done projects on, for example, the sounds of nature, um, sounds of protest, which is a really interesting one, um, the sounds of church and temples and prayers, um, the sounds of the London metro system, all these kinds of like various different angles in. So The sounds from these smaller, more focused projects all get added to the global sound map. So the map itself includes all of the projects to date. The current project is called Stay Home Sounds, sounds from the global coronavirus lockdown. 
the lockdown sounds project is quite a natural extension because it just becomes like another aspect of the way the sounds of the world are changing or a different aspect of of sound that you can kind of present back in one manageable chunk. It was Saturday morning, April 25th, when I received the email from Adam and started digging around the website. We were only about six weeks into our own lockdown here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. What had my life been like for those previous six weeks? What had changed? What was I doing that I wouldn't have otherwise? It was 6.40 a.m., I went outside, set my iPad down, and pressed record, and went back into the house. Here's part of what I wrote and included with that sound that I submitted to Cities in Memory. Since we've been mandated to stay home on March 19, 2020, my partner Ann and I have been working remotely in our dining room. We would have typically spent at least 10 hours a day in a co-working space that she owns and operates in our small city of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, USA. Even at the start of our stay-home orders, I had a feeling we would be here longer than projected, so I installed a couple of bird feeders that were left by the previous owners of our house, directly outside of the window where we would be working. It took a few days, but the birds finally discovered them, and each day I've enjoyed seeing them fly around the yard and stop by for a meal or a snack. I recognize my privilege. I have work that I can do from anywhere. I have a house in a great little city that has everything I could ask for, but is still quiet enough to enjoy birds early on a Saturday morning. And I was not so alone at that point. Birds and sounds of nature, along with the quieting sounds of spaces that are normally bustling with energy, were wildly popular at the beginning of these lockdowns. I also took advantage of the sounds that were available to work with that weekend. I chose a sound called Near Silence in Trafalgar Square recorded by Will Cohen. Cohen wrote, Surrounded by the National Gallery and St. Martin in the Fields where I spent a year singing as a chorister, this is typically packed with hordes of sightseers. In my response, my goal was to capture the emotion of experiencing this place, shutting down, a place that typically thrives on the energy of people. I wanted the piece to build toward a washed-out, surreal, and dreamlike pressure that climaxes just before the space is finally silenced. There's been there's been a bit of a tonal change over the last um, two three weeks I think um, where we're starting to see more recordings coming in around disquiet and social unrest um, and and discontent with the way that governments are handling um, the crisis so a lot of stuff coming in from 
Brazil uh, for obvious reasons, kind of anti-Bolsonaro, um, and then and then a few other kind of protest sounds from other countries. And I, I think the, the tonal shift from the early sounds, which is, oh, we can all hear more birds, isn't this nice? Um, and how people are entertaining themselves through to more kind of like, actually, this has been going on for months, people are losing their jobs, um, the government's handling this really badly, and actually we need to kind of do something about it. I think that's been quite an interesting thing. And I, I wonder... You know, as we go further into the lockdown, um, hopefully not too much further, but we don't know um, what other changes we'll see uh, coming through that will be reflected in sound as well. Yes, this project is a passion project for Stuart. It's a labor of love. It's something I do alongside full-time day job. Uh, he does compile musical highlights from the various projects and releases them on Bandcamp, where you can download them for free or pay what you want. It's a great way to get a taste of the thousands of sounds on Cities in Memory and throw a few bucks Stuart's way to help keep the project going citiesinmemory.com links in the show post now I know what podcasts are (laughs) erase the filter something positive about the pandemic I think for me is being able to get into a rhythm like a routine I've never been much of a routine person but it's really helped me learn how to do that whole planet we've been leaving a much smaller carbon footprint, especially in places like India, I read yesterday, probably China, and certainly here. Hardship just presents the possibility for a change in growth. And as humans, that's what we're built for, man. We're built to adapt. I've learned that I'm okay to sit with myself and be in that quiet um, as an extrovert. That's something that I was actually trying to work on before the shutdown of the pandemic, Um, but this (laughs) has really helped it. But I am making the best of this situation by trying to find more time to focus and replan my business and restart things that I've always wanted to start with work and personal life. Um, I've also been able to do a lot more volunteer work, um, which I've always wanted to do. Um, to help people in the community that I'm in right now that are really struggling. That, I've really gotten into a good, probably normal, healthy sleep schedule. And that just, that, we were not on a trend to keep a healthy sleep schedule before this. And being at home and having this restrictions, I, I'm sleeping a lot and it feels really good. And most of my life is improving because of that. No, I've, I've got a adopted daughter with some severe emotional problems and we've had a rough time in sixth grade and at home without the pressure of middle school she's thriving she's really doing well she's getting her work done and her emotional regulation is much better started a few new garden plots and and really was able to focus on some things here on the farm that we never seemed to get around to because of uh, hurrying around with things I've been emailing a lot with my grandmother, which has been this beautiful treat. And she told me about her 21st birthday when she went to Florida and hung out with alligators and swam in the ocean in Miami and took a boat ride in a glass bottom boat in Silver Springs. I had never heard that story before and it was magical to me. I'm not sure I ever would have heard it if we hadn't been writing these letters. I am trying to support the local businesses. I'm happy to see the market has had good uh Attendance and good support. Um, it's where I do a lot of my shopping. So uh, I think we are all in this together, and there's a lot of people in Lancaster that are on the same page and trying to, you know, uh, pull for each other. 
So it's really not only giving me the opportunity to look inside myself, it's it's giving me the opportunity to see how I can help others and in various ways that I can help them. And while we're off the clock like this, we have a chance to reassess where we're at regarding how much or how little value we as a society place on human life and dignity. Special thanks to everyone who shared their thoughts about the COVID-19 pandemic for today's episode. Paul Armstrong, Randy Buxner, Tim Braukiathi, Molly Connolly, Will Kiefer, Jose Johnson, Krisha Martzel, Shauna Stolzfus, Anna Tran, and George Wallace. When this is all over, we'll do lunch. This is Jason Mundock. Thanks for listening to Erase the Filter. Show notes can be found at erasethefilter.com. And if you have feedback about the show, feel free to email me at jmundock, J-M-U-N-D-O-K, at gmail.com. And always remember, open your mind, be yourself, erase the filter.